The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Kelton Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediaphile. And each week, we'll find out how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. New York Times bestselling author Austin Kleon has been called one of the most interesting people on the internet by The Atlantic Magazine. And he stopped by the writer files to chat with me about creativity and the writing life. Austin is the author of three illustrated books, Steal Like an Artist, Newspaper Blackout, and Show Your Work. In addition to being featured on NPR's Morning Edition, PBS NewsHour, and The Wall Street Journal, Mr. Cleon speaks about creativity in the digital age, where organizations as varied as Pixar, Google, South by Southwest, TEDx, and The Economist. In the first part of this two-part file, Austin, Cleon, and I discuss why you should read more than you write, how a paper dictionary can improve your writing, the difference between little writing and big writing, how your daily ritual can save you from failure, three symptoms of writer's block, and how to cure them, and how to harness the power of productive procrastination. Austin Cleon, welcome back to The Writer Files. Hey, thanks for having me. You were in the written series and... Um, I'll point to that in the show notes, but that was a really, a very inspiring interview Q&A. Jeez, <laughs> we're off to a great start. Um, so thanks for coming back, man. I can't wait to uh, pick your brain and get into your updated writer file here. I'm stoked. So for listeners who aren't familiar with your uh, work, who are you and what is your area of expertise as a writer? I am, I call myself a writer who draws which means that um, I make art with words and books with pictures. So I've put out three books. They're all illustrated books. The one I'm known best for is a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is kind of a list of 10 things I wish I'd known about being creative uh, when I first started out. And the other book I'm you know, more well-known for is another 
is the sequel to Steal Like an Artist called Show Your Work, which is all a book about it's it's a book about self promotion for people who hate the very idea of self promotion. Mm-hmm. It's all about sharing your work and getting yourself out there, and um, and so you know, Steel is all about taking influence from others, and Show Your Work is about influencing others by kind of letting them steal from you in a sense. And then before those two books, I did a book called Newspaper Blackout, which is a very strange poetry book that's made by, <laughs> um, yeah, that's why no one knows about it. <laughs> it's a poetry book. But um, it's made from newspaper articles, and it kind of looks like if the CIA did haiku. <laughs> I pick a few words out of a newspaper article, and then I black out the rest, and they kind of they read like these weird haikus almost. Um, and that came out, that was my first book. And so if there's like a Venn diagram of my work, I kind of think about it as pictures, words, and the web. And I'm kind of in the middle. And the web part is just that, you know, my whole career has kind of been um, based on, you know, me being active online. I'm actually coming up on my blogs about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I got out of college, I just really didn't know what I was doing. So I started a blog, you know, and in 2005, that was a great idea, (laughs) you know, and it was, it was pretty easy to like get started and kind of stand out, especially if you were doing something interesting, you know? And so, um, I still kind of think of myself as a, I guess less and less, I think of myself as a web guy and more of just an author, which is a very strange kind of, um, kind of transition i had day jobs for a long time and and now i just do this full time so yeah and you you kind of came from a backer of graphic design as well yeah that's kind of the weird thing about me i mean i'm i'm kind of i i identify mostly as a writer in terms of my you know kind of where i feel centered in the world i mean i but I have this this visual side, this design and 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 art side, and I made a living for several years as a web designer. And um, I'm not formally trained in graphic design or art, um, but that's always just kind of been part of my life. Yeah, I love those um, those blackout poems. They're very cool. Oh, thanks. And um, <laughs> I, I keep your books by my desk just as inspiration because I feel like I can just flip open steel like an artist anytime I'm feeling kind of, you know, like I'm creative juice and there's just so much in there. It's, it's perfect. I think for those moments when you're, when you just need a jolt of quick creative inspiration. So thank you for those. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, they're designed that way. You know, you're supposed to be able to just kind of flip them open and start reading and get something out of it. You know, you know, that's why I really like the, um, they're books that you really have to kind of, a lot of people have them as ebooks, but they they really shine as print books. I agree. I think the ebook d- would not do it justice. I think having it in your hands and being able to touch it and and the artwork is is really great. I mean, it's it's really really fun. So where can we find your writing out there in the world? Well, the best thing to do is to go to your local bookstore and ask for one of my books. That's the easiest. Um, but otherwise, just go to uh, austincleon.com or Google me, and uh, and you'll drop down the rabbit hole of <laughs> my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, and I love I'm, – I'm a Twitter junkie and an Instagram guy too, so I'm Austin Cleon on those. Cool. And what are you presently working on over there? I just finished up uh, something I'm 
I was not excited about when I started on, and now I'm super excited about it. Um, my publisher, Workman, wanted to turn Steel Like an Artist into a journal, a kind of moleskin-ish. Uh, it, it's really cool. It's got like one of those elastic bands and like the the envelope in the back. So it's like a it's a um, it's basically a prompted journal. It's like an interactive version of Steel Like an Artist that you can carry around and do like all kinds of exercises. And, and it's supposed to be something that you carry around with you and you open up every day and it kind of gets your juices flowing, you know. So um, I just finished that up. That's coming out in October. And I'm going on a 12-city tour. I don't have all the cities quite yet, but that's um book tour for me is like i have to kind of get stoked up for it because <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a marathon type thing but um i'm super excited about the journal you know like i said i i you know i i never i'm so particular about my own journals that the idea of like making a journal that other people would use was kind of daunting but then it like turned into this really fun thing and i'm you know, looking forward to doing the exercises myself kind of along with cool. everybody else. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get a hold of one of those. And I will send you a copy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's the best news ever. Well, I'd like to dig into your productivity a little bit and just kind of pick your brain. Sure. I know that you do some pretty extensive research on stuff. How much time per day would you say you're kind of just researching or I guess, um, kind of more creative inspiration? You know, if I had to put an hour, I'd say anywhere from one hour a day to five hours a day. You know, it so depends on what project I'm working on or not. But for me, I mean, I probably read at least three to four times as much as I write. And I think that's a really important thing for my my own practice. I mean, I know like the folks like Stephen King, you know, he writes in the morning and then he reads all afternoon. And I've always aspired to that. I've never really gotten that done, <laughs> you know, because I like to read and then, you know, putter around. And then I'll like if I'm on deadline, I'll have to sit down and actually bang something out. But I would say, you know, probably at least a third of to a half of the day is based on trying to like fill the fill the tanks, you know, so to speak. So before you actually sit down and get working, do you have any pregame rituals or practices that you do? I wish I had more. I mean, for me, the hardest thing is to get my butt in the chair and sit down and open the file and, and go for it. You know, I, I, um, I do a lot of free writing uh, by hand. Like, in, I take a lot of notes by hand, and I really believe in like keeping a journal and that kind of thing. But when I'm actually sitting down to make a piece of writing that someone else is going to read... I feel like I have to be in front of the computer. Mm -hmm. My friend Clive Thompson, if you Google Clive Thompson or, or search Clive Thompson on my Tumblr, there's a, there's a brilliant talk he gave about writing by hand versus typing on the computer. And what the research he found showed is that kind of writing by hand is great for taking notes and for synthesizing ideas and coming up with new ideas. Yeah. But when it comes to actually producing writing for a reader, typing on the computer or on a typewriter is, is better. And so um, that's certainly true in my own practice. It feels mm -hmm. like I'm not actually really writing until I'm hitting the keys. Yeah. No, I love that research and... Um, I've always been kind of fascinated. I know you've, you, you talk about that quite a bit, kind of that synthesis and 
and then the formality or at least the ritual of actually getting it, getting it down. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So what do you, do you have a most productive time of day or a place where you are most productive for your writing process? So I have, I have converted my garage into my studio. So I have what I call the eight foot commute, um, from my back door of my house to the garage. And so, um, the garage is kind of, you know, that Weezer song (laughs) in the garage. I feel safe. (laughs) That's, that's kind of, that's kind of what happens. Like I go in, I flip on the lights, I crank the air conditioner, the window AC. I say hi to my lizard that likes to hang out on my air conditioner. <laughs> he's right. He's right there right now, actually. And there's something about the actual physical transition between going out of the house, being out in the heat, and then coming into the garage, like mm. flipping on the lights, you know. And 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 that kind of gets me in the in the mode, you know. I I should probably mention that I have kind of a weird setup. I actually have. I think last time we talked, I have. I had two desks mm-hmm. and now I actually have three desks. <laughs> it's, getting multiplying. Little, <laughs> it's getting a little out of control. I have, I have one desk that's the analog desk and I talk about this in steel like an artist, but yeah. the analog desk is nothing electronics allowed on there other than a pencil sharpener. Like that's, that's for where I make my newspaper blackout poems and where I, you know, kind of come up with ideas and letter stuff and all that kind of thing. And then I have a digital desk, which is where I have my um, computer and my scanner and all that stuff. And that's where the, you know, like we said before, the real writing happens. Mm-hmm. And now I have another desk that's more like a standing desk, which is my attempt to kind of recreate a library carol at like the library. So it's got like a bunch of reference stuff on it. And that's, 
I've got all my files above, so I, I file stuff, and then I have a paper, an actual paper dictionary there that's like this big honking American heritage. Wow. And I go over there and I look up words, and you know I really recommend to folks like use the dictionary. I think and get a paper one because you know like the dictionary on the Mac is pretty good, but a paper dictionary there's something about like having to turn to the page and read the entry and then you see all the words around the entry you always find something interesting that's something i stole from uh john mcphee the the writer he he did this brilliant series of articles for the new yorker about how he writes and his big advice is never use a thesaurus Mm -hmm. never use a thesaurus always use a dictionary look up a word in a dictionary and it'll give you ideas for you know better phrases to use and that kind of stuff so um yeah three desks analog desk digital desk and then my reference desk and i just kind of dance between the three all day nice (laughs) i used to have my computer on a i hate standing (laughs) i know there's like a big vogue right now for standing desks i hate standing desks like so much i i cannot write when i'm standing up like (laughs) part of the fun for me of being a writer is like you know, leaning back in my chair and staring out the window and then typing and then yeah. looking, you know, looking at the squirrel out my window and this lizard. And, then, you know, I go back. <laughs> That's the fun for me. And I have a really nice office chair. And, you know, it's like I that that for me is the good stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Death to standing desk. It's interesting you say that because I use my standing desk mostly just for like correspondence stuff. Yeah. When I'm like you know, just like surfing Twitter or whatever. And then I, yeah, no, I can't write at the standing desk, anything of any import. What you just said, that's what happened to me. I had my computer on the standing desk and I just found myself always walking over there and like answering an email and blah, blah, blah. And and doing that little light work, you know, and then I never really was able to just zoom in and like do stuff. Yeah. I'm with you. So are you a night owl or do you, do you get out there? I'm sorry. I didn't even answer your question. That's okay. <laughs> well, I really like to, I like to work when the world is sleeping. Yeah. And so like I love early morning and I love late nights. The problem with that is I have two kids and I really love to sleep and that's the <laughs> only time they're asleep. And so I just, I cannot make myself get up that early anymore I'm really lucky my wife stays home with the kids. It's kind of amazing that we're able to do that. It's also kind of insane, but <laughs> it drives my wife insane. But so I'm, I am, I basically keep like 10 to five hours. Yeah. It's kind of like working in an agency or something. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, 10 to five. So I'm kind of like doomed to the afternoon, which, you know, Dickens called, you know, that mongrel time. Right. <laughs> you know, it's neither day nor night. <laughs> and I hate the afternoon, but I do like something about the kind of long, there's something about being in the garage in the afternoon and kind of losing track of what time it is. That kind of helps. So yeah. afternoons for me, I hope eventually that I can just get up in the morning and write 1500 words, you know, like yeah. at 5 AM, but I just can't do it yet. <laughs> okay. Are you cranking music in my garage or do you prefer silence? 
Well, it, it just depends on what I'm trying to do. Like if I'm researching and reading and just kind of messing around or blogging, like I'll just listen to like soul music or garage rock, just the stuff I kind of like. If I'm really trying to come up with ideas and really write something, I'll either put earplugs in. I know Dan Pink writes with earplugs and earplugs are something about having complete silence that is real. you know, you can hear your blood pumping. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that. But I also like music I can ignore. So like I put on so I put on like classical or jazz or Brian Eno or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then if I'm on deadline, if I'm doing something I hate that I know I have to finish, I will play the most meat-headed like loud like stuff I can like Soundgarden or like ACDC just like the mo- or Led Zeppelin just right. like the most meat-headed rock I can possibly muster and I'll turn that up as loud as I you know dare and I'll just <laughs> crank through and it's almost like a punishment it's almost like <laughs> it's like it, you know it's it's not funny but at Guantanamo you know they use I fr- I think they play Metallica for when they're like torturing people <laughs> and and it's like and that's kind of how I feel. It's yeah. like, let's play this metal music and torture yourself until you're done. <laughs> the gun yeah. the gun to your back, so to speak. That's a horrible metaphor, but it's kind of how it works. Hook up the electrodes. And <laughs> yeah. Are you, I know you're just an incredibly prolific online publisher. I mean, via your blog. And uh, so when you're working on a, on a book at the same time, are you alternating kind of between things or are you getting out there every day and kind of just cycling between stuff? You know, I try to post a few things every day. And if you do that, it just seems like a lot, you know. But when I'm really working on a book, I'm pretty heads down on the book. And you'll see the online stuff kind of slow down. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I want to make a point about is I just don't really see – a big difference, particularly with my process between what we'd call little writing and big writing. You know, it's yeah. it's all kind of, you know, whether you're making a tweet or you're, you know, tumbling something or, or, or writing a blog post or you're, you know, writing a book, to me, it's all typing into boxes. And I can't really tell, you know, I've had tweets that led to blog posts that led to book chapters. You know what I mean? I, yeah. It's all just kind of the stew. And the one thing that you can do if you're insane and you have too much time on your hands is like you can you can watch me. I'm researching in the open. Yeah. And and so you can see what I'm interested in and you can kind of get an idea of where I'm going without me telling you. Mm-hmm. But um but that's always just been something I kind of that's kind of the show your work thing is that I, you know, I've been really interested in kind of letting people watch me as I go. And then what happens is that all this stuff comes back at me because I'll tweet out something and then somebody will say, oh, well, have you read this? And I say, no. And I look that up, you know, and, yeah. and it's this kind of cycle between publishing and receiving you know, it's it's really a it is it's a cycle, and so I just I you know, and I know a lot of writers do it differently, you know, but I I just kind of like researching out in the open and letting people kind of help me along, and yeah. and then you know, I mean, a lot of my books could probably be reconstructed from my online, you know, output, but 
you know, in that nice little package. Right, right. You pick up the book, it's all there and it's all been edited and it's all trying to make this coherent argument and it's just not the same, you know. And so I just like that, you know, researching out in the open and then eventually you get a book at the end of it. Just a quick pause to mention that The Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm slash platform. I love how you talk about creativity not being linear and you know the importance of the daily practice. And you're, you're really pra- you are practicing what you preach, but it's cool. It's the only way I can see. I had this, you know, when you're young, er, because <laughs> I'm not that old yet. But when you're younger, you just think, I'll just arrive at some point, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll get to this point and people will, they'll notice me and they'll know me and I can just kind of sit back. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a little bit of success when you're younger, like I did, it scares the crap out of you because you realize suddenly, oh, I've been talking a big talk about how I want to be a writer and how I want to be an artist and all this stuff, and now it could actually happen. I might have to do this the rest of my life. (laughs) And you have this, like, Elizabeth Gilbert, I've never read any of her books. I I love her. She's done a beautiful profile of Tom Waits, and I've read a little bit of her nonfiction, but she did this TED Talk where after Eat, Pray, Love came out, she said, "Yeah, I probably have 40 years of work left. And it's very possible that my biggest success is behind me. I love that TED talk and I'll link to it, but it's so good. Oh, it's so good. And it was so honest of her to get up there and be like, I know, I know I was lucky. I know this might never happen again, but I have to keep going. And it's funny because I think her next book actually wasn't a very big success. And then she gave another TED talk because she's Elizabeth Gilbert and and talked about, you know, failure. And so for me, I, I just put this post up online recently. It was a little talk I gave about how everybody thinks creativity is like Don Draper closing his eyes and then having a big revelation, you know. And I think I never feel like Don Draper. I always feel like Phil Connors and Groundhog Day, <laughs> where it's just like Phil wakes up every day at 6 a.m. and he's got to do something for with his day. You know, he knows there's no tomorrow. He knows all he's got is this day. And so I love that movie because at first, you know, he kind of cheats. He fritters away the day and then he kind of falls into despair. And like, and then at the end, he realizes like, oh, I just have to work. I have to like practice a craft or I have to get, you know, I just put the work in every day. And, and that's when his life gets better. And I think as a, as a, as an artist or a writer, that's, you really just have to get into the dailiness Mm -hmm. and you have to figure out like a daily routine in which you go out and you do your work. And then you're kind of, if you have a daily practice and a, and a, and a ritual, you're insulated from success and failure Mm -hmm. because they'll both screw you up. You know, I mean, failure, we all know about success will do the same thing. You know, it'll it'll knock you off your game. But if you have this kind of dailiness to your work, that'll pull you through so many situations. And that's why I love Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals. Oh, me too. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, one. that's like writer porn, right? I mean, <laughs> 
you open it up and it's like, it's not, the thing I really liked about that book is like, my books are prescriptive. Like I'm telling you what to do, like do this, do that. You know, it's kind of bossy and, and that has its place. But I like Mason's book, Daily Rituals, because it's just this big collage of what other people have done before you. Yeah. And then it's your job to kind of like pick and choose from, you know, what you want. And I think that book, but you get the sense when you read that book, it's like, you got to go in and make the donuts <laughs> every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you got to go into the garage and make something happen. And it's going to be the same tomorrow and the day after that till you die. And if that yeah. seems daunting, you're in the wrong work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's why I love show your work, you know, of that, where you're talking about the, the incremental process. And I mean, one, one of my favorite quotes, I don't know if it's from that book in particular, but where you say writers aren't born, they are made. And I don't know, back to, well, I, that's something I have to believe for myself because I'm not superhumanly talented. You know, I've got a, I've got a decent amount of talent, but I'm not like, you know, James Brown. I'm not Miles Davis. I'm not, you know, uh, but the funny thing, you know, I just mentioned James Brown. There's a great documentary about him out right now called Mr. Dynamite. And the thing about James Brown is you just realize like, this is a guy who worked every day, you know, he just never stopped. Right. You know, and you'll find that with all these geniuses, it's like, not only were they superhumanly talented, they also worked all the time. And like, I'm a lazy person. You know, I always think of myself as a lazy person. I mean, I don't like to work, but I know that like, if I don't, I will do nothing. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. so, but for me, it's really, I mean, I, I had a really good, um, I had a really good creative writing professor uh, named Stephen Bauer and his thing was apply ass to chair, apply ass to chair was what he's like, write it on an index card and put it above your desk, apply <laughs> ass to chair because right. he was like. The Allen thing, you know, you just show up. If you show up every day and you do the work, you know, those little bits and pieces of effort over time, they, they add up into something. You know, you write a page a day, it doesn't seem like much in the day, and then at the end of the year, you got enough for a novel. You know, 305 pages. Do you feel like, just veer from the script for a minute, but do you feel like that transparency where you're kind of giving your audience a window into your creative process that has almost like a psychological effect on you? I think it does. And I think you have to be careful with it. Like, I mean, one thing I didn't touch on to, you know, show your work supposed to be a pep talk. It's supposed to push, you know, it's supposed to push people who are afraid to open up a little bit, you know, to just, just try just one little thing every day. But the thing about being transparent is you have to really gauge what and how, and how much and how you show. So it's like, you know, you have to really look at w your process and what's really, um, you know, what's really close to you that you don't, that you can't share. And then you have to think about what you can, you know? And so it's kind of the thing, that I guess the point I want to make uh, with that is that, you know, I don't, I think people get this idea that I'm like, yeah, share everything, dude. Put your put your novel on GitHub and like, <laughs> you know, let people, you know what I mean? And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying find the little bits and pieces of your process that you think might be interesting or helpful to someone else 
and push out those little bits and pieces as you're working on something. And in that way, you are around, first of all. People don't forget about you. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know, and then you're able to keep your head down and do your work while you're just sending out these little transmissions. I mean, that was really the idea uh, behind Show Your Work. But I, I, you know, when I'm really working on something that's really important to me, I mean, like I didn't share the journal when I was working on it because I knew I had two months to finish it before my son was born. And I could not conceive of any way in which me sharing my work would would benefit me in any sense. But the things I was sharing were like uh, I was looking at other people's notebooks and I was like tweeting and tumbling out that stuff, you know. And so like novelists will come to me or, or fiction writers are like, so I, should I put drafts of my stories online? I'm like, no, <laughs> don't put drafts of your stories online. Like save your drafts for your really close readers yeah. and for like your writing group or your wife or whoever. What you should be doing is like, you know, write about the books you're reading or like talk about a writing tool that you found really helpful or talk about structure in a Hemingway story you're reading. You know what I mean? Like do that kind of stuff, that processy stuff that you think no one cares about. You know, like every fiction writer should be posting a list of books they're reading. That's Mm -hmm. the easiest thing in the world to do. And from a marketing perspective, it's like, throw an associate's code in there and anyone who buys the book, you know, gets some yeah. back from it. You know what I mean? But like every, I'm always amazed at writers who aren't, who don't tell people what they're reading. I think a lot of people think that reading is like a personal thing, but I'm like, your audience is hungry for, the reason people read you is that they're hungry for the types of books you write. And so if you read those types of books too, sure. then, you know, the, the interesting thing about my genre is that I don't, you know, I think a lot of people think I sit around and read creativity books all the time, <laughs> which is not true. You know, I mean, I'm reading, I have so many different, I mean, the reason that my books are interesting is because I read all kinds of different books, you know what I mean? So, so I have, I've always felt like, but this has always been a personal thing for me me. I've always felt like if I was um, true to the things I was really interested in and sharing the things I was really interested in, people would follow along because people would just, because, just because I, uh, you know, in the act of sharing things, that's how I can get people to, I can either find my people or I can introduce people to new stuff. So I don't really like the word curator, but I like sharing, you know, I just, I just feel like not enough in this day and age, one of the most powerful things you can do as a, you know, writer is to share stuff. Definitely. I love that. All right. Well, let's just wrap up productivity with the writer's block question. Do you, do you buy into it? Do you ever get it? I feel like writer's block is just exhaustion, laziness, or fear or some, you know, combination of them i also think that like i mean a lot of times when i'm blocked it's just that i don't want to sit down and write you know Mm -hmm. i just don't want to because it's just not my favorite thing to do i'm you know like i would rather read you know fran Lebowitz, she's like if you ever feel like writing just lay down on the couch and read a bit it'll pass (laughs) you know that's how i feel you know but but for me but i also think that you know people hit walls and I think a lot of times when I am just 
nothing's coming. That means that I haven't, I, the, when the output doesn't happen, that's because the in, there's problems of input. Yeah. A lot of times problems of output are problems of input. And so if you don't have anything coming out, that means there's not good stuff going in. And so that could be anything from like, you need to take a trip or you need to just walk away from your desk or you need to like stare at a wall for a while or <laughs> read, you know, just something to kind of like get off, you know, get something jump started, you know. And so a lot of times with block, I'm just like, you know, some people try to power through block and I'm just like, eh, you know, go walk away for a bit. Cause it's always when, you know, everybody's had that experience. You're sure. in the shower or you're on a walk and that's when the juices start flowing. And then just make sure that you have a, you know, with that said, I think you need a, um, you know, you need a time and place every day to, to do the work. Yeah. I like how you talk about the bliss station or you've been, you've been known to mention it. Yeah. That's a, that's a Joseph Campbell thing. You know, everybody's heard the follow your bliss thing from Joseph Campbell, but the one thing Joseph Campbell talked about in that stew was having a bliss station, having a place where you can go and no one's going to bother you and you feel very much at home and you can do your work without the world kind of impinging on it. And for me, that's the garage. What about workflow there in the garage? What, um, <laughs> I know you, you did mention that you're, you're working on a Mac. Uh, what, what particular hardware do you press? Are you presently working on? I have two computers. I splurged and bought myself a big iMac. Um, and so I write on that in the garage. I also have a 13 inch MacBook air, which I think is probably one of the greatest laptops ever made. I had a 12 inch power book in the early aughts that was wonderful. And this, but this one, it's about the same form factor actually. And mm. just the Mac airs, I, is such a fun computer to travel with and write on. Um, but I don't use anything fancy. I mean, it's just like off the shelf Macs and I write, you know, Google docs or, you know, sometimes I'll use uh, word. Uh, a lot of times now I just type into a text file that's getting saved to Dropbox. But yeah. I think Dropbox is like probably the one piece of software I couldn't live without these days because mm -hmm. it keeps everything. Um, I even look at stuff on my phone yeah. You know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, so yeah, max with Dropbox on it. You're pretty much like <laughs> you could do whatever you want. People forget that. Like, I just think so many of the writing programs are just, they're just, they're just like everything else. They're just way too complicated. <laughs> it's like, just open a box and type into it, you know? Right. And that's why I love like text edit on the Mac. I just like open that up and just like make the font really big and just like start typing. You know, that's cool. I would like to see a series in which people actually talk about their nuts and bolts of what's on their screen when they're writing, because I've noticed that like, if I'm just trying to free write, if you make the font like super, super big, so you can't see any of the other words, like that's an amazing, like that's a great mental tool to use on the, on the word processor. Hmm. But then if you're editing, it's really important to like be able to see paragraphs. Right. And, and the shape of writing. So use the zoom tool too. Like that's a very underrated, you know, tool. And of course the other thing I think is super important is I think you have to, you know, I think you have to print your work out 
and look at it on a piece of paper and edit it with a pen. And then I also think everyone should read their writing aloud. Yeah, I love both of those methods, honestly. And both of which are like going out of fashion because everyone's like, oh, paperless. And it's like, no. And everyone works in an open office now. So it's like, you know, you're going to feel like a moron if you read your writing out loud. But those two hacks, like printing stuff out, editing by hand, and reading aloud, I think would make, you know, are, hu- are super easy ways to improve your writing. Love that. So do you have any... um methods of madness for staying organized over there? Well, I love Dropbox. Like I said, I think Dropbox and really having like a, a, a folder system in Dropbox helps. Mm-hmm. I am a big, I just write stuff. I, I'm going to sound like such a goof. I, I have three notebooks going all the time. One of them is a pocket notebook, which I write down like to-do lists and like stupid ideas that I'm having and stuff like that. And that just stays in my pocket. I have a sketchbook that I keep like in the house and in the studio where I like have like actual, you know, like I'll, I'll collage stuff in there and then I'll draw and that kind of thing. And then I have another notebook that's what I call my log book. And what it is, is it's a 365 day moleskin diary. Hmm. And every day at the end of the day, I write down, I don't talk about my feelings (laughs) or anything like that. I simply list what I did all day. Like, just, like, went here for lunch. Hmm. You know, went in and got my TSA pre-check application. <laughs> you know, like, just, you know, like, took the dog for a walk. You know, just, like, dumb stuff like that. And I just list things. Or what I was reading or what I watched on TV. And one of the things I've noticed about just dumb, because it's so hard to keep a diary. Yeah. But if you just simply list start to finish the things you did every day in the list, when you're flipping back through that it recalls the whole day for you. Hmm. You can remember how you were feeling and you can remember. And it's also, I have a terrible memory. So I love being able to go back. I think I have like seven years of logbooks now. So I love being able to say, when did I replace the air filter (laughs) in the attic? And I can go back like six months and find it. Or when's the last time I got a haircut? You know, <laughs> and that was really practical. But I can also say, hey, when did I, like, how, how did I write the last book? And I'll flip into my logbook and I'll be like, oh, well, here was a day where I did 4,500 words. Wow. And here's a day where I did nothing. Yeah. And here's a day where I said I was going to give up and give the advance back. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, because I have such a terrible memory that I just forget what it's like to be in these projects and having these books that I can flip back through. You know, even with my kids, it was very helpful for me to look back on how I felt after two months of having my first kid because I was like, oh, this existential dread and angst, this is is how I felt last time. (laughs) And it got better, you know. But I think keeping a record of your days is something, you know, that a writer, you know, we're recorders of memory anyway. So that that helps me a lot. Hmm. I like that. So you talk about productive procrastination quite a bit um, and you've written about it. Do you have um, some best practices for beating procrastination yourself? Yes. I think the best thing to do is to practice what you said productive procrastination, which means have one or two or three things going all at the same time. And when you get sick of one thing, you can work on the other thing because you hate the other project so much. 
-hmm. And then when you get sick of project two, you can move back to project one and you, but you have to work. I mean, (laughs) but, but you basically use procrastination as a way to get things done. So for me, it's like, I don't want to write this talk that's coming up, so I'm going to do a blog post. Or I don't want to do this blog post, I'm going to go make a poem, you know. And as long as you're, you know, getting something done, you can use procrastination, you know, to be productive. Love it. All right. So how do you unplug at the end of a a hard day there? Right now, you know, about eight o'clock at night, my wife and I, after we get our kids down, we just kind of look at each other and we give each other a hug and we're like, you did it. You did it again. (laughs) And we sit down and we just watch stupid television. Just, just bathe in the glow of like Louie or, you know, like Hannibal or like, I love Broad City. I think Broad City is like, Broad City is probably my favorite show, but just these kind of, and then if we're really wiped out, we we only get a few channels because they changed to digital and we didn't get one of those boxes. Mm. So we only get like a few channels and HGTV. So we'll just turn on House Hunters <laughs> and just watch the dumbest TV imaginable for like 30 or 40 minutes. And then we just go to bed and I read. Yeah. But that's like, that's basically our ritual. Just like, that's what TV's for. Is you know everyone like it's such a vogue thing. Oh, I don't own a TV, you know. And I'm like, that's what TV. Like, then you don't have like you know that's what TV is for is to turn your brain off. Yes. Like you know everyone's like, oh, I got to be productive. I got to do this. It's like, dude, sometimes you need to just like not think about anything. And when you need to not think about anything, that is what television is there for. Yes. Yeah. I mean, The Wire is great and everything. But house hunters is like therapy. (laughs) At least you know how to buy a house in Caracas now. One great reminder from Mr. Cleon, writers aren't born, they are made. Now it's up to you to do that daily work it takes to get there. Thanks for tuning in to the first part of this interview. The second half will be published early next week. I think you're going to want to check it out. For more episodes of The Writer Files and all of the show notes, or to leave us a comment or a question, please drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a rating or review, and help other writers to find us. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there. Mm-hmm.